G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. Are you or someone you love living with anxiety, fear, panic attacks or high levels of stress? Well, our special guest today has just released a new book. It's called Deactivate Anxiety, Simple Strategies for Claiming the Life You've Longed For. The focus is on the fact that these internal struggles can be debilitating. But there are keys to move forward into internal health, strength and boldness. Larissa DeMichael says she's been there in her own struggles with anxiety and panic attacks and she knows what to do with those feelings and thoughts. Larissa lived for years with crippling fear, even as a born-again, spirit-filled Christian pastor. And she's learned what God is able to do. Larissa D. Michael is a author and coach. She's served in governance with Alpha Crucis University College. She was a pastor at Horizon Church from 2008 to 2020. These days she lives on the Tweed Coast in New South Wales. Larissa, a special welcome along to 2020. Thank you so much. It's just, yeah, it's fantastic to be here with you, Neil. Well, let me say congratulations on the release of your book. Thank you. Uh, you know, some people say when you write a book, uh, it's a little <laughs> bit like giving birth to a child. I definitely say that. <laughs> and, you know, then it's got its, a life of its own too. Yes. Uh, how's things going? Only launched just like last week. I know. Oh, thank you. I say that it's probably the longest labour in history. I do have two little girls, so I have something to compare it to. Um, fantastic. It's just been um, received really well. It's it, it's just starting to find its home. So people are just slowly getting back to me and um, letting me know how it's helping them. And um, it's just early days, Neil, but it's exciting. And, of course, you wouldn't have written the book Mm. if you were not so familiar with the fact that there's a real need. Mm. It's sort of the way people respond when you speak Mm. in a group or a church or organisation. You recognise that there are people who are dealing with this sort of anxiety Mm. issues everywhere. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think I was just having a, a quick look before I came here today and I wrote down some stats now. Um, So... They were saying that even before, um, many researchers were saying that even before the pandemic, um, anxiety was actually the leading cause of mental health condition um, that was being reported. And since then, um, a Queensland professor um, down at Melbourne Uni has actually said that he's seen um, in their studies a doubling of people reporting anxiety conditions um, and even I was having a look and, you know, can I just say, um, before we get going, um, talking about mental health can at times be a real trigger for people, their own story or people in their own world. And I just think it's really important that if anyone's listening as we chat and talk about, you know, maybe some deeper things, um, that it's important that they reach out, whether they reach out to their GP, a mental health professional, um, Lifeline, Beyond Blue, just even a friend. 
um, to chat through some of the things that are going, if anything comes up as we're talking today, I think it's really important. And I often say that when people are connected to a local church, uh, even though you might not have that professional in your local church, your pastor will have someone to refer you to if you feel like you need that extra special uh, dimension of help in there. Yeah, I think that's really important. And I was looking just even um, in 2021, 778 of our beautiful community, they committed suicide. And I just think, you know, never has there been a time, I think, or most definitely there is a time when we need to be talking, particularly in the church, about mental health, about our our soul health, about who our inner man and our inner woman. Um, and so I'm really passionate about offering something in that space, uh, particularly in the Christian world around, um, yeah, even, I mean, I have the privilege of sitting opposite you here in the studio and uh, and I can see your beautiful smile. And I know that listeners can hear that in your voice as well. And it's interesting just coming to mind as you're talking and you're talking about the seriousness of this because the upshot for some is that they go through and attempt suicide. Mm. Uh, then you've got at the other angle, uh, you've got people who have that lovely smile on their face and mm. uh, just because they're illustrating loudly to others that they're having a tough day they're saying oh I'm having an anxiety attack it's not necessarily the case because when it's truly a mental health issue that anxiety attack is not something you want to gloss over and even no. flippantly laugh about is yeah, it? Yeah no I think that's a really great point um, many of us that have battled with mental health challenges um, have probably learnt to have a bit of a split not personality, but um, expression of self. And so I know many people, certainly myself, had kind of a public persona that we had learnt to develop over the years that perhaps we felt was more acceptable, um, would maybe be more loved, perhaps seemed more strong, while secretly, you know, we're battling with things alone um, where no one else can see. And I think, you know, um, not to harp on it too much, but, you know, I feel like I certainly haven't, can't say I've been to every church across Australia. So, you know, it can't be a blanket statement, but I've been walking with the Lord for 23 years. And I would say that I'm not sure um, in my experience that I've seen the church do well, the attention and um, attending to perhaps anxiety. Um I think many are battling secretly. So to answer your question, I suppose, uh, yeah, there are some that quite openly let us know that they're having a hard day. But I think for many, those mental health battles, um, yeah, it's a secret. It's a secret battle. And in church life, uh, this can be a challenging thing too because uh, very rare that you'd find a church anywhere where you haven't heard a preacher or a pastor or a visiting minister uh, teach on things like, you know, the Bible says, fear not. Mm. Uh, you know, don't worry about your life. Uh, those sorts of things, well, when hard times are upon mm. us, we do tend to worry. Uh, mm-hmm. We do tend to have concerns about things. And if you've got healthy concerns, uh, those things are real, mm-hmm. but you can deal with it. But if you don't have those sort of mental health strengths, mm-hmm. uh, you perhaps deal with them in a different way and you get overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. How do you describe that? Yeah. Um, well, just on your first point, I think certainly in my, um, I would say the last five years of my life, I've really found a lot of traction 
um, in getting well, in really finding the freedom and the peace that Jesus promises us. Um, but for the probably 15 years of walking with the Lord pr- prior to that, uh, good meaning and lovely people, if I ever did share the anxiety and the panic attack, would offer me kind of a scripture um, or, you know, pray it away or, you know, just get a word of scripture and just speak it over your mind until you, you're better. And, and you know, I, I tried all of it. You know, I, I went on, um, went away for ministry. I sought counseling. I, um, which are all great things. I personally went down the road of medication. Again, all important parts of dealing with health in the mind and the soul. Um, I tried to pray it away. I got scriptures and, you know, all of these things and in and of themselves, none of them are bad, but none of them in and of themselves were actually, um, I suppose, what ultimately pivoted the journey I was on with the anxiety. So, um, yeah, I think in the church sometimes and we don't know, you know, and I am so, I mean, if you knew me, you would know I'm just so passionate about the local church. You know, I was a pastor for 13, 14 years. I've been in ministry for 23 years. I'm still involved in my local church. I love the local church. Um, And I suppose I wrote this book because I felt like, um, you know, sometimes in meaning to do the right thing to help people with mental health challenges, actually um, we can heap more pressure on people because they're like, well, I'm trying to do all the things and I'm still battling. We will get into perhaps <laughs> some even deeper dimensions, uh, yeah, cool. just exploring your heart uh, through this time we've got with you, Larissa, because you've got a wonderful way of communicating. Oh, thanks. And uh, for people who have been through some things, and as you say, this is not always just a, uh, you know, uh, pray this and Mm-mm. or say that or, uh, you know, confess this Mm-mm. or confess that. Uh, there are perhaps some deeper dimensions that need to all come together That's to right. enable you to be able to feel strong and healthy and yes. able to handle all of those pressures that come. Take us back to the very first time that you would have experienced these sorts of panic attacks. What was going on in your life around that time yeah. that, that caused this sort of stuff to start to boil over? Yeah, Um so I was 11 um, and was living in just, I grew up in a small country town, rural town. Um, and I, at that stage, my parents had just broken up. Um, and what I later realized, I'd been living with um, some abuse as I sort of gotten to this point of my life. So there was a lot of pressures um, my dad at the time was running for a seat in a federal election. And um, so there was a lot of like public, um, like newspapers and people were just interested in our life. So I, I felt like there was a lot of pressures. And then my parents, um, through a range of different reasons, at 11 had decided um, that it was a good idea to send me to boarding school in the midst of just craziness. And um, I remember my dad was remarrying his second wife and the news cameras were there and um, 
I was starting to walk down the aisle and I guess I just hadn't navigated. I mean, I was 11, but I hadn't really talked to anyone about anything that was going on internally. And um, I just, I feel like it was just this conglomeration of pressures and intense moments. And and I think, um, yeah, just my internal world did not have the capacity to cope with it. And so while the news um, cameras are rolling and I'm walking down the aisle, I just remember I I started to sort of weep and then cry and um, it was just uncontrollable. And I remember feeling incredibly embarrassed and alone. And finally someone took me out of um, the wedding and that, for the next 24 hours really started where I can look back now on as my first panic attack. So so what I can hear is that the uncertainty that mm. you were all of a sudden thrown into, mm. uh, things had been certain and safe and secure up until this mm. time and this sort of uncertainty takes you by surprise mm. emotionally. Mm. You're not even really old enough to mm. have a way to be able to grapple and deal with mm. that. And the emotion takes over. And as you say, you know, crying uncontrollably, Mm. this sort of fear about Mm. what's going on. And and people, this is a sort of a fairly common thing we're Mm. hearing. Yeah. And I think too, um, particularly when we're little, um, we're trying to make sense of the world. We're looking for those that we love to tell us, are we okay? Um, Are we secure? Are we safe? And um, I'm sure, you know, if you talk to my parents, they would tell you 100% you are. But what's really interesting about that internal sanctification process, the renewing of the mind, the um, allowing the Lord into all of who we are, is we start to discover that it's not always people's intention that form who we are, but it's how we saw the world. And so at 11, you know, in this moment, I saw the world as incredibly unsafe, unstable, uncertain, that I was unwanted, unlovable, um, that I didn't have the capacity. And it really, I can look back now and can see that that season of my life, these deep roots of um, toxic thinking and belief systems and actually, you know, completely unscriptural truths about who I am as a child of God set like concrete into my identity and um, began to grow like strangle vines, really. And getting free, is this a little bit like cracking and breaking the concrete and pushing the concrete away and, uh, you know, bursting out of that in a new, you know, I'm I'm just trying to get a little bit, uh, you know. Yeah. So, uh, you know, bursting out of the concrete like a grave, uh, you know, Lazarus come forth. Oh, my gosh. Of, no. Woo! <laughs> I mean, you know, let's uh, let's not be too flippant about yeah. it. But, but, I think but there's when elements you're the, of it, now. You're saying, you know, you're so confined, mm. like being confined by concrete. Well, cracking out of that and Amazing. bursting free. I would say when I came to the Lord, that was the experience. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. This is 2020 on Vision. Our talkback line open, 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation. Larissa DeMichael is our guest. Her new book, Deactivate Anxiety. We're taking calls, 1-800-316-316. Before we move into anything uh, listeners-wise, Larissa, some things in our Christian walk 
are instant. Mm-hmm. Uh, some things you can pray away. Yes. Some things you can make a positive confession and the negative one disappears. Yes. Other times, uh, we've got a process, yes. uh, like an unravelling of all the knots that have been mm. tied. Uh, your thoughts here about uh, mental health issues, anxiety, unwrapping all of the, the difficulty, breaking free from the concrete, uh, from when those things start to grab a hold of you? Yes, definitely. So um, I was a prayer pastor for six years um, before I transitioned into this new season, and I am all for the power of prayer. So I would love to make that point. I actually um, run a community called the um, Aussie Prophetic Intercessors, and we are passionate about prayer and the necessity for God's house to be a house of prayer. So um, certainly I'm in to pray. Um, And certainly there are things that in a prayer, things change. Um, We were just chatting off air about, uh, you know, the – the growing of that deep seed when I was 11 in that season um, eventuated at 21. And, you know, if you took a snapshot of me as 21, um, I was a drug addict. Um, I was living with a drug dealer um, in society's eyes, you know, as a bit of a no-hoper, probably some society. Um, they would have made judgments about my effectiveness and my lovability. I mean, I was a mess and that was the girl that Jesus found and said, you're mine. Like, I pick you. And in an instant, Neil, my drug addiction completely evaporated. In an instant, I went from living in darkness to being able to hear the voice of God for myself and be able to make sense of the Bible. I mean, this was an instant uh, suddenly. And so God works like that. Um, And then on the other hand, you know, sanctification um, our walk with the Lord, our renewal of the mind, the glory to glory um, unraveling, as you said, of becoming more like Jesus, that isn't an instant. That is um, a- an ever-going process. And so certainly for my mental health, did I pray, wish, fast, take communion, hope that you know those panic attacks that were so debilitating – would be fixed in an instant. But that just isn't my story when it comes to the health of my mind. It was actually um, a bit by bit. Sometimes I think it's like a strangle vine where those toxic belief systems that were like concrete um, in my heart and my identity that, you know, forged around 11. It's like these strangle vines that wrapped itself around about my true identity. And in the kindness of God, I wished that he would just take it and I would just instantly be like, oh, I'm so free in every area. But actually the process of sanctification is the kindness of God because he does things like scaffolding where he erects this and then he establishes this. And then when those parts and those foundations are set in place, then he can go to the next part. And when I think about the unraveling of my story and getting to some of the deeper roots of why I was so frightened, if he'd unveiled some of the things that I started to deal with in the last five years, he'd started to look at those things when I was 20. Neil, I'm not sure I ever would have got back up again. Mm. So he ha- he's kind and he has to go, I'm going to 
put this revelation and then I'm going to put this community and then I'm going to set this belief. And he does things like this, a gardener that's creating a garden or a builder that knows how to not put the roof on before he's done the foundation. And so sometimes we wish he'd do it fast, but it's his kindness to do it in the way that he does. Anxiety attacks and the sense of insecurity. Uh, I know some might be thinking, did the drugs initially help or did they make things worse? Uh, When you first started taking drugs, uh, dealing with these uh, insecurities, how did that make you feel? Yeah, um, my drugs. So, I mean, it was 23, 24 years ago. Um, I certainly started taking drugs because I was desperate to belong. Um, I was desperate to be accepted. Um, by this stage, I'd actually been kicked out of the boarding school that I was in. Um, and my home life was incredibly complex and, um, incredibly difficult. And so I was looking for belonging. And I suppose the world of drug taking, you know, it's like anywhere you can't just put a blanket on something and go, well, this is what that is. For me, it, it brought belonging. I, um, I was great at partying. I was great at being the fun girl in the party. I was great at gathering. You know, it's so fascinating. You look back on some of these things and go, oh, it's like, you know, who God created me to be just going the wrong direction, right? I was great um, in in so many ways in that community. I, I found, you know, friendship and um, and certainly to begin with, I felt good. People don't take drugs initially because it makes them feel horrible. You take them because it, you know, is it's an, an aesthetic on deep hurt. It is um, a Band-Aid on soul wounds. And so there's this momentary feeling of like, everything's okay. It's the hit of I'm safe. I'm okay. Um, what I talk about in the book, the difference between um, a state of pleasure and a state of protect or drugs um, fabricate a sense of being okay, but it's a lie. You're not okay because you're partaking of something that actually is leading you into greater restriction, greater addiction, um, you begin to spend money on things that actually aren't bringing any health. Friendships start to decay because um, there's jealousy and, and people aren't healthy and people make stupid decisions when they're inebriated or intoxicated or drug-filled. And so there's hurt and bitterness and that world just opens up into so much pain and um yeah, and then society and families don't know what to do and so they cut you off and so then you're alone and addicted and poor and um, thank God for Jesus. <laughs> and all of the things that we do to try and build our own self-identity, you know, apart from our parents uh, looking for a new group of friends that you can belong to, you get into this cool crowd and you fit in and mm. you're the life of the party mm. and uh, and you get to, you know, you start taking drugs, mm. uh, you become the one who starts to try and forge your own identity. Mm. If we're talking about a long time to unravel all the knots that get tied mm. when we're trying to do this by ourselves, and then trying to actually identify with Jesus... Mm getting onto a new pathway because, you know, to be like Jesus, to do the things that Jesus does, to believe the things that Jesus believes, this does take time. Yes, it does. Ta- any relationship takes time, you know, and I think sometimes we want to mack as Jesus. We want to drive through 
and we want to get our Big Mac <laughs> and we think I'm going to be healed whole and sanctified. But, you know, nothing about who Jesus is is a quick fix. You know, your Jesus and my Jesus, like you were saying, that you've walked with him for, you know, for 40 something years. Yep. And I bet if I got to interview you, Neil, you would be able to share about how you've learned this new dimension of who Jesus is, or he showed up in this way, or he's un- because relationships are meant to be ever growing. And, um, I think, you know, when I first came to the Lord, there was that. Why didn't anyone tell me? I went to a Christian boarding school. I'm like, how does not everyone know that he's alive and he's real and he loves even the lowliest and even sin can't separate me from being in his presence? Oh, he's so worthy to be worshipped. And then out of that place comes a a real desire to want to get to know him. And as we get to know him and as we get to realize how much he loves us, things begin to drop away. The drugs drop away. The gossip drops away. The being a bully drops away. The deep need for this group of friends to tell me I'm awesome or this family member to approve of me. It all starts to grow strangely dim as we keep our eyes and are in this real life relationship with a king that transforms us because of his love and not because of um, religious fear. Larissa, let's talk through issues to do with anxiety because, as I said, you were even struggling with these things as a pastor. Sometimes in church life we think the pastor's got it all together. (laughs) They're not really dealing with a whole lot of stuff. But uh, (laughs) then you come out when you've written a book and you say, Uh well, actually, even as a pastor I was struggling with (laughs) these things. Not every pastor has everything together. Pastors are on a journey just like everyone else. That's very true. Take us into uh, what you call a darkness before dawn. Yes, Um, so I had been a pastor at this stage uh, for probably about um, eight or nine years. And, um, you know, on one hand, I believe I was quite dynamic. Um, I had, you know, great feedback, um, was part of building a really great church and great programs. Um, I lectured at Alpha Christmas College, University College now. I um, ran our Bible college. I preached and discipled and there was lots of great fruit in my life. Uh, But as we mentioned early on in this chat, there was this other part of my life that very few knew about. And really, I just had um, this secret debilitating struggle with panic attacks and generalized anxiety. Uh, When I was 30, um, I actually was working in a refuge. I've worked in um, social work field, welfare, community jobs alongside pastoring for 20 years. Um, And at this stage, I was working in a, a residential care and a young man pulled a knife on me. Um, at the same, you know, time, I was starting to try and unravel some abuse that had happened in my early years. Um, and, you know, I document, um, talk about this in a lot more detail in my book. Um, so I sort of on one hand had this unraveling of, of, you know, some childhood things that I was starting to see that, um, those belief systems and those traumas as a kid, were now starting to um, eventuate in fruit in my life. And then I had this 
experience with um, this young man pulling a, a knife on me when I was alone. And um, it set off this panic attack that lasted for about four months. And um, I came very ill. I couldn't work. I had to go on a sickness benefit. And I really didn't know what was happening to me Um a couple of my friends knew about it. I was, um, they were my flatmates and I, I couldn't drive. I couldn't think properly. I went on some medication. Um, but if I were honest with you, Neil, I sort of came out after four months and was just like, I wasn't really sure what had happened and was just terrified that I would ever go back into whatever that was. And so fast forward about six years, um, I'm a late bloomer with Um, my daughters. So shout out to all my older mums or more mature mums. I had my first daughter when I was 36, 37, and um, I had had um, a miscarriage prior to this pregnancy. My marriage at the time just had a lot of complexities. um, And also my ministry at the time, also there was quite um, a lot of pressures going on. So it was just this cooking pot of um, events that happened. My beautiful daughter was born and I remember my husband had to go back to work and my daughter was um, – I'm back there now. I, I can just – I can see the moment in my mind as I talk to you and my, you know, little three-week-old baby was in my arms and I was lying in bed and I just remember this moment of very clearly realising that – what this little baby needed was completely outside of my capacity and this panic attack commenced that um, actually went on for about 12 months and it really was the darkest time in my life. Um, I, yeah, I, I say in the book, you know, to lose your own mind is really the scariest experience I've ever been through and I'm not really sure how else to describe that season, but I went to a mental health ward in Sydney and um, there were people from my church there that thought I was coming to visit um, other people that were in the the mental health um, unit, but really I was there for myself and very quickly the nurses would sweep me away because these beautiful people wanted prayer, but I was there for myself and it was scary and lonely and my mum moved in for that. 12 months and, um, you know, we probably don't have the time to go into it now, but I do talk in the Bible and the Bible, (laughs) my book is not the Bible. I talk in my book about, um, you know, that really, um, in that time I, I really became minutes away from ending my life. And, um, thankfully that is not what happened that day, but, um, very shortly afterwards, I remember just having this sort of, you know, second coming to Jesus moment. And I remember thinking, God, I am 37 years of age and I have walked with you since I was 21. I've done all that I know to do to be well. I I have in my heart faithfully served you. I have sacrificed, you know, which is nothing in comparison to what the Lord has done for us, but in my heart, you know, this was the conversation, right? I'm like, I've sacrificed. I've, I've followed you the best I've known how. I've, um, I don't feel like I've got, you know, any evidential, evidential sin in my life. I, I just do not know what more 
to do. And um, if I'm honest, Neil, the language was probably far more colourful and <laughs> probably far yep. less Christian yep. um, appropriate. But it was an, an honest moment of just I, I know nothing else that I know to do. And, you know, our Lord is so kind and um, – you know, in the midst when many others may have cuddled me or loved me or nurtured me, you know, God just came with the most loving rebuke. But it, 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 rebuke in God is like this this drawing to come near. You know, it's not condemnation. It's this compulsion to come into his love. And, and he just said, Larissa, you're right. You've done everything you can. Now let me. And it was this moment of, you know, when I first came to the Lord as a drug addict, it was surrender. You know, it was, ah, what more can I do, God? And and in that place of surrender, he took me. And it was this moment again of realizing the gospel of our surrender and his complete capacity to take us as we are doesn't stop at day one. It is an ever going journey. And 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 that day I can look back at and go, it was the turning point for my walk with anxiety and Jesus. And, you know, it's uh, eight years on now since that day, um, but where he has led me, Neil, <laughs> <laughs> is you- extraordinary. I, there truly is hope for a better day around mental health. When we're identifying with Jesus and looking for the safety and security that comes from our hope in him, Mm. that doesn't mean that we can't substitute our own self-building identity again. And uh, because you're talking about a time here, and for listeners, this is a little bit confronting for some, but here you were, you were already pastoring in a church and already suffering through these things and going through your own journey. Mm. And listeners will be thrilled that you've got this and you've been able to articulate these things and almost no doubt uh, in a therapeutic way by writing your book because getting all those things out is going to be a powerful (laughs) thing. But this thought that uh, I can choose to identify with Jesus, my life can be on track, but a crisis comes and I can choose Mm. to rely on other things in Mm. my life, not on his all-powerful, all-knowing, all-understanding way of being the strength and pillar of my life. So you can take those things Mm. back. If we're talking about some practical keys for Mm. listeners today who are thinking, I'm going through some of this stuff that Larissa's talking about, Uh, how am I going to get onto the right track? What's a practical way of trying to keep that relationship, that strength in Christ alive. Yes. Um, so I think it starts with uh, the surrender, the fresh surrender of those places. Um, I would say there were massive parts of my life, my heart, my soul, my history, who I was as a person that were surrendered to the Lord. And yet there are these other parts of us that I think maybe we've locked away that even maybe some like consciously, we don't even realize that it matters anymore or we're like, oh, that's a part of me that was just in the past. It's just under the blood. I don't need to worry about that. And many experiences are true that it is. You just move on. And then there's other parts that are so part of who we are that actually it requires um, 
that what we were talking about before the break, a, a continual bringing things to the Lord. So I would say, you know, the first is whatever you're going through right now, we, we, we freshly surrender that to the Lord and we get the courage to go and I will follow where you want to take me. So I think it starts with that. And then for me, um, he begun to take me on a real practical journey of getting better. And so for me, it started with the natural Then it moved to the spiritual, which was like weird for me because most people that would have known me would have said I was an incredibly, you know, strong spiritual leader. And yet God started me in the natural. And so he was like, you need to start figuring out what is anxiety. So I went on a journey of learning what's happening in my natural body, what is being released from my amygdala, what chemicals are actually going through my body when this happens, what are triggers, what what is how can I reframe these triggers? So a lot of my coaching um, that I was doing, I, I did my first year, which I haven't didn't um, finish because I went on a different direction. But I did a one year of psychology at uni. So God was starting to put all these pieces together about learning in the natural um, what was going on and how do I deactivate that anxiety cycle. And there are actual things you can do. So I started to realize that there are two different states that your brain and your body can be in. One I call a pleasure state and one I call a protect state. And I started to realize that you can't actually be in a pleasure and a protect state. Your brain can't do both at the same time. So I was like, oh, okay, well, that's a great piece of information. So how can I deactivate the protect? So um, you may have heard that as the fight, the flight, or the freeze. Um, it's a state we're in when we're um, wanting to protect ourselves. when we, um, you know, if we've got on a road and a car came by and we're like, ah, like it's all those chemicals, which are great in short bursts. But many of us are living not short bursts in that state, but we've learned to live in states of survival, which I had. And that has a whole host of consequences and diseases and stomach ulcers and um, heart conditions and obesity and stress-related um, issues are just sending so many people to the GP. And it's because we're in this constant state of what I call protect So I went on this natural journey of going, okay, well, how do I get myself into this pleasure state? What does it look like to become curious and to feel like everything's okay and to feel safe? And um, what does it look like to get those, you know, juices? Like, What does it look like to get those chemicals and, and those thoughts? And so I learned that gratitude is a really great way that actually is scriptural. So Jesus and the Father like our God, and they did create us, and they know how to keep us in a healthy state. But also the scientific research behind what true gratitude does for our body and our health and um, our, our wellness is extraordinary. It's not just, you know, some cool, hip, new, you know, jump on trend. It's phenomenal, the health benefits of just gratitude, and you can do it anywhere. It's free. So it's just one of those things. So there's a number of um, deactivators in the natural that you can um, start getting good at. And you've got to practice it. It's like going to the gym. You have to start practicing this new state, but the benefits are endless. So I started to realize these things work, but it wasn't the full answer. And so then after I had some of those things, he started to move me into, okay, 
now let's start looking at the spiritual state of your environment and um, we started to move into those things. But there are other natural protectors that I talk about in um, my book that you can activate. Wonderful, because when we talk triggers, usually we're talking about the triggers that take us into a state of anxiety. Yes. And you've worked out that there are triggers that can take you from anxiety to being on the level stress-free in that sense. No doubt uh, being stressed is not altogether bad. Well, learning to Uh, deactivate Deactivating the anxiety. Great name for a book, isn't it, Neil? I think you should call a book out. That's exactly right. But so- you know, triggers, That's we are, right. we're always talking about triggers that take you to mm-hmm. the anxiety side. You've identified, right. and the one you've identified uh, so far, and you said there's others, mm. but gratitude, yes. this is very much a biblical-founded way of connecting with God. Yes. Now, to take this a step forward, uh, can you do this on your own outside of church? Because, you know, when we're called to, you know, commune together... When Jesus said, you know, as often as you do this, you know, mm. sort of breaking bread and drinking the wine together. It's like that communion mm. for a lot of churches. That's the reason why they come together. It's like we gather for a reason. And in those times, we are encouraging one another along the lines of things like gratitude mm. and other triggers that take us the opposite direction as you're sharing Can you do this on your own? You actually need the people of God. And if God has got this body that's set up like a stake in the ground in your community uh, that actually, you know, overflows with healing Mm. and and helps you to overcome all of the the knots and things of your Mm. previous life and you get those things sorted, can you do it on your own or do you need the local church? Well, I mean, of course you need the local church. We were, you know, um, you just need to study the Trinity too, and it's one of my um, passions, is we understand ourselves in light of a Trinitarian God. And so to understand that our healing and our um, self-eventuation, I mean, it's like our understanding who God created us to be can only happen in community, um, and on our own. And so I think the same way as I can, I cannot truly experience the God of creation isolated. It must take place in community. I think healing is the same. You must be within community for the fullness, um, and you do it on your own. So um, much of, you know, if I'm honest, I wrote this book because I came to a place to realize that my journey, um, I felt like God led me in it, but I didn't feel like there was a wealth of um, advice or mentoring around getting well in the way I needed it. And so I wanted to write a book that was like, hey, if you're in this place and maybe you're not in the pit, maybe it's not crazy pit land like, you know, that Larissa's talking about, but it's just generalized anxiety. It's it's nighttime worrying about things because worry, stress, anxiety, fear, it's all part of that same state, protect. And um, 
So much of what we do, I think, is done in community and must be done on our own. Let's take a call. Oh, James great. is in Kyabram in Victoria. Hi, James. Welcome. G'day, Neil. G'day, Larissa. G'day, James. Very, very... How are you going? Yeah. <laughs> Good. James, what are your thoughts? Well, very much a part of my uh, journey uh, 15 years ago, working in a truck um, industry, and sometimes the guys rode me. I made it very open and honest, uh, open that I was a Christian, so they you know, did things. One day they decided they were going to give everybody a high-ad license except me, so they left me running the, the uh, truck, they had 50 trucks, and so I was dying to do the work, and I had this thing. I thought I had a heart attack. Now, mm. uh, I said, look, nothing wrong with your heart. And I thought, well, that's right. Three doctors have said to me, I've got the best cholesterol they've mm. ever come across. And, and so, but I didn't get an answer to what it was. And I, it was only I went to a job agency. I was talking to this guy and he said, if you're having chest pains like that and you don't know um, what they are, then it means you're obviously having a, a panic attack. He said, mm. I've had both. I feel similar. And so the identification of it that started to help me on the process is what you're saying. Like, And not having the education, but like uh, Philippians 4, you know, it, it talks about that the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. So I'd read that verse many times before, but I never realized the realization of the fact that I can say to God, I need your, your mm. peace to guard my mind. And that, but that took me on a further journey, you know, underneath of the everlasting arms and God's waiting, you know, like and you, I have to choose uh, to be, you know, be with him in quietness and peace is our rest, you know, and confidence. Um, choosing to get into his lap, you know, as a 57-year-old, 50, sorry, 56 I'm discovering more that I can get into the lap of God and in the arms of God like a little baby child and experience rest. But being ridden in the workplace, when you're open about your faith, fortunately I was praying every morning in the church. They were praying seven days a week. So I'd pray before I went to work. I didn't know what had happened. didn't know what it was, but the pain was very intense back then, very intense. And and so I understand what you're saying. And I I tip my hat to Neil because that man's on there every day. He talks to so many people I don't know how he does it. Like all the Vision Radio, they they're an inspiration to me and to everybody. Just and what you're doing is a great thing, Larissa. I, I'm, I'm going to have to get your book. I'm going to. Have to get your book. <laughs> well, these are these are good sales pitch, and it's come from someone who hasn't read it yet but wants to get a hold of it. Hey, James, uh, thank you so much for wonderful uh, comments there. Uh, how do you feel when you hear of you know that sort of feeling of having a heart attack and uh, reliance on the peace of God? You know, yeah. it's what are you, what are your thoughts here, Larissa, it's, for James? Yeah, it's so it's such a um, common that the stats for those in our nation that are dealing with anxiety and and panic attack. And as I said at the beginning, you know, it's such a so many of us don't know how to talk about it. Um, I think what I love about um, what um, James mentioned was that there was a scripture and then he talked about the outworking of that was him actually having a real life relationship with his father that he spoke about an imagination. So he imagined, you know, um, in a prophetic sense, sitting on his father's lap, he, you know, I could hear in that, that there's a sense that he's talking to his father about what actually was going on in his life. So um, I think actually that's a great example of even pastors or leaders that are listening today or we've got friends in our world that are dealing with these things. Um, yeah, we can give a scripture. And 
I love the word of God, you know, but I can say to my daughter who is amazing, she struggles with dyslexia and I can say to her, honey, reading is going to change your life. And it's true. And I could sit down with my daughter and I could show her step by step how in her brain that outworks itself. And what I'm passionate about, um, James, and I just love how you've expressed it is, yes, we the scripture, but it's more than just slapping a scripture on someone's pain. It's actually doing the work to go, what does that actually mean? What does that scripture mean? How do I outwork that practically? Um, and plug, plug. That's why I wanted to write the book. <laughs> James, thank you so much for calling through. Thanks, a James. really great contribution and time has run out. Uh, so after that sales plug from James... <laughs> which is great, uh, listeners might want to get a hold of this new book that we're talking about. And I think uh, Larissa is going to be able to communicate in her book just the way that she communicates as she's talking to us today. And Larissa, it has been a great privilege and a pleasure. Larissa DeMichael. Now, that's spelt D-E-M-I-C-H-I-E-L if you were Googling <laughs> Larissa DeMichael because there is a Larissa DeMichael website LarissaDemichael.com and no doubt you'll be able to get a hold of the book uh, from online booksellers everywhere. Everywhere. But uh, you no doubt would be very welcome to visit Larissa's website. And I'll sign it. If they like to come to my website, I'll sign it. (laughs) Okay. A signed book and uh, taking you just that little bit deeper than ordinary when you're talking about these issues around anxiety. And as we start to talk about keys, uh, recognising the triggers that take you from the anxiety side of the equation to the peace side of the equation. The book is called Deactivate Anxiety, Simple Strategies for Claiming the Life You've Longed For. And you can connect personally with Larissa at LarissaDemichael.com. Larissa, thank you so much for coming and sharing your heart with us today on 2020. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.